0: We are live as always. <laughs> how are you today,
1: Martin? I'm doing awesome. What you?
0: Well, first of all, I'm wearing a red shirt, but I'm in a red room.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And I think we need to point out that this is a different room.
1: This is a definitely different, but it's an awesome room.
0: It's pretty incredible. It's
1: pretty incredible, yeah. Do you think Usher doesn't know how incredible this room no, is? No, he doesn't know. <laughs> but we're like
0: in a new studio today.
1: Yeah, brand new studio. Pretty nice. Big. Yeah, much, much bigger than, our, much bigger our than table. the
0: original yeah. studio
1: square table, a square <laughs> table. it's like
0: a, it's like an epiphany
1: yeah finally
0: <laughs> why would anybody put a round table in a studio that's right makes no sense yeah makes no sense at all should we should we welcome usher to, the, we to the room let's do that usher it's very nice to have you usher smile. See.
2: <laughs> well thanks See? so much for having me and for getting my name right that's yeah great. so looking forward to the discussion with you guys
0: it says it on your shirt, so it's, it's as you would say in the UK, it's on the tin, but the co-founder or a co-founder of Uncapped, it's great to have you here. You are in London, no?
2: I am based in London, um, but I'm originally from Canada. And, okay. and uh, you know, it was supposed to be for 12 months and ended up being 12 years. Yeah, and Probably the one thing that hasn't changed is the accent.
0: That's interesting. Yeah, that's super interesting. I was supposed to be in Japan for two years. I was there for 22 So kind of the same type of thing, yeah. So if you
1: were in Canada, can you speak French?
0: Un petit peu, un petit peu. (laughs) So should we? I think that's probably all I can say. That's That's about all you get.
2: A little bit out of practice, guys.
0: (laughs) No, so Martin and I go back and forth on multilingual
2: podcast.
0: We did, yeah. So it's not really Martin. Just wants to speak French. He's from France. He wants to turn this into a French podcast. (laughs) I'm trying to push my, but it's not going to (laughs) happen. Anyway, how are you?
1: I'm
2: doing well. yeah, it's a beautiful day in London. We've actually been having a bit of a heat wave. so that's a that's a nice change. and uh, and yeah, but also excited to chat with you guys.
0: It's really good to have you here. Can you give us maybe a little bit more of your background just for some context before we jump into the main part of this conversation? Yeah,
2: for sure. So, so as you said, you know I'm one of the co-founders of Uncapped, and what we're really passionate about is that founders shouldn't have to give away equity in order to fund growth. So you know we provide fast, flexible funding to e-commerce businesses for marketing, inventory, hiring. But the key thing is that we do it without personal guarantees or dilution. And, uh, you know, my background is in startups. This is the third business that I've started over the years. And the biggest problem I always had was getting the funding that I needed. And now, you know, working with hundreds of e-commerce founders, I've just seen how they've really struggled, too. So for me, it's a dream to get to work on Cap because, you know, every day is about helping other entrepreneurs get the funding they need. And um, our first customers were actually my friends. So from the start, we really tried to create a product that is really friendly, that's fast, fair, transparent. You know, it's the product I wish always existed. Uh, We're now in 22 countries, including the U.S., the U.K., Germany, Poland, Spain. Um, You know, our business has been growing exponentially, deploying hundreds of millions of dollars. And we actually now fund more businesses in a day than the typical VC will fund in a year.
0: So what were you doing before this, though? What other kind of businesses did you start?
2: Yeah, well, you know, Uncap is really just born out of the frustrations I faced when I was launching my first business, uh, which was way back in 2003. And, you know, I was young, and I was just trying to raise 100k. And I probably had 100 meetings and got 100 no's. And, uh, you know, I didn't want to take financing from the banks, because they all wanted personal guarantees. And, you know, with venture capital, it wasn't ideal either because, you know, I didn't have a track record or connections or like a warm introduction. And so I just repeatedly was like missing out on growth opportunities. And, um, you know, so that was my first business that was like a marketplace business and, you know, I realized marketplaces are really tough to run. But, you know, um, I ended up making a small exit on that business and, and I thought, OK, what should I do next? And I ended up actually you know, doing a second business and I was raising money for that. And I thought, okay, now, you know, now I have it all figured out, you know, and I ended up raising millions in venture capital, but then I also got terribly diluted and I just started to realize the options for me were really limited and it was just depressing, you know, to think that I could work so hard and then own so little of my company.
0: Where were you? Were you in Europe or in the UK when you were raising this money or were you in Canada?
2: My first business was back in Canada and my second business was in the UK. And, you know, I think uh, probably a lot happened in, in all those times, I think, of, of, you know, the world kind of changing and getting used to a new ecosystem that was here. But, um, my second business was was more in, like in the fintech insurance space. Um, and in that, you know, uh, you know, London became like the, you know, the fintech capital of the world in some ways, I'd like to say. Um, but, you know, I made so many friends with other founders that were in, you know, in the e-commerce space. actually invested in a ton of businesses around that. And yeah, I just started noticing that, you know, basically the problems that I was having, it wasn't just me, right? Like every growing business was just left to choose between raising this costly venture capital or burning themselves with traditional debt. And so yeah, I just uh, thought there must be a better way and and start to work on uncapped basically to try to bring this more like fair way of funding, I think, you know, first, first to Europe, and you know, now to North America.
0: And why do you think it's so hard? Like this whole process of raising money from VCs. Why do you think it's so hard? And, and also this, like I advise companies on raising money, right? So I get it. And one of the things I tell them is one of the lessons that I tell them to learn is about dilution, right? In other words, if somebody wants to give you money, particularly at the earliest stages of your business building that dilutes you so much, don't take their money. It's better to be destitute and poor because because at some point, your interests in are going to diverge from theirs if they own too much of your business, particularly early on. Right? Like 10 years in, if you own 10% of Uber, maybe that's okay. But if, if you look at the most successful businesses, the guys and gals that have founded them have maintained their ownership stake. And even created interesting products so that even if they don't own all the equity, they own all the voting equity, right? So that's the Facebook model. But yeah, what's the problem like what 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 do you think the problem is with that model of just going to VCs to raise money?
2: Well, it's I think as you said, you know, um in each round of VC funding, you're typically giving up twenty to thirty percent of your company.
0: Twenty percent, yeah.
2: But you also give up control, you give up a board seat usually. And you know, once you give away that equity, you can never get it back. And so, you know, I don't think it suits every business. And for some cases, it's just really silly. You know, like, for example, if you're a founder who's running an e-commerce business and you're planning to raise a bunch of equity, spend probably like six months doing it, but then turn around and spend that money on Facebook ads where you already know that, you know, one pound in is like three pounds out or, you know, $3 out, then, you know, that's money that you would have just had so instantly, but now you're never gonna get that equity back. And so it's just a crazy game. And if you keep doing that game, you end up going to the point where actually you own so little of your business. So like that's like the fundamental challenge of why it just doesn't make sense for you know, marketing, but also doesn't make sense for inventory. You know, there should be a way of funding that's like more aligned to the use case.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Definitely, and I think particularly in 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 the e-commerce space, because like when you need money in e-commerce, most of the time you need money yesterday, because right. like because you need the inventory, you need to like, you need to do much more 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 marketing like uh, like right now because you have an opportunity, or because it's because it's because it's too four, or because like one of your con- complete or just struggle or something happened, yeah. most of the time, mm. like, this is the moment where you get to go bigger on marketing or like your initial campaign start to work in very well and you want to grow. And this is really, at, I guess, at this growth stage, that's what you are coming in, right? It is not for early, early com- companies. It's more for companies who want to grow and who, ha- and who need capital right now to fund the growth, right?
2: Yeah. So like you know, we say like, Uncapped is great for you if you're doing at least 10K of monthly sales. You've been doing it for six months and you're growing. And like a rationale there is basically when you get to 10K, you know, you've gone to a place where, you know, this is not just side of desk anymore. You're actually maybe earning enough where you could take a bit of a salary from that. If you're doing that for six months, you've shown that actually this is is a real thing. People want this product and there's growth there. And like, what we wanna do is help those businesses that really just wanna take it to the next level. You know, they want more fuel for the fire without taking a piece of the pie.
0: And what's your capital source? What What's your our capital, capital
2: source? You yeah. know, the funny thing is that we raise money, so other people don't have to. <laughs> <laughs> so, so yeah, we have raised a millions, millions of equity from actually from VC, some of the best VCs in the world. Um, but I think the way we think about it is that you know um, we're an alternative to VC, but you know it's not that VC necessarily is like a dirty word or a bad thing. It's just one tool in an entrepreneur's toolkit, and you just got to know when to apply it. And like, you know, when we encourage people to use equity is when they're investing in something that is, you know, doesn't have product market fit yet, that it needs R&D, hasn't figured out that monetization model. That is a great use of equity, right? Because that's an equity bet. You're going from zero to one. But when you're running an e-commerce business and you know that if you buy this inventory, you're going to be able to sell it in three months and you've seen that pattern again and again, it's insane to basically go and give away 20% of your company. And uh, I would say that's
0: not a good use. Yeah, so I agree with you. What's your view on companies like e-commerce aggregators, like, come on, Thrasio or Opuntia and stuff like that, guys that raised literally in the U.S. a billion dollars and guys in the Middle East and in Southeast Asia just raised millions of dollars. But their idea is to then go buy these companies to then scale, but they're raising VC money as well. Some of them are raising debt too, right? So this, it's interesting, but I'm curious what you think about those businesses at scale because you're so involved in the e-commerce side of it. How does it look to you?
2: Yeah. So, I mean, we've seen, it's amazing how much those companies have raised in the last period, mm-hmm. especially last year. There was just a wave of Insanity. company after company and you were like, whoa, right. what's happening here? But I think it shows this pattern and that, you know, it shows that for e-commerce businesses, it's a good thing because it creates another exit route for them, I think. And, you know, previously, you know, if you wanted to build an e-commerce business, there was always a question about where where is this business going to go? You know, and if you're getting into that next level, what happens next? The the model for them, of course, is like super different because they're more thinking about how do they aggregate these businesses and then optimize them and get a return and drive it that way. And actually, we also work with some of those partners. So, you know, we help fund those guys as well and you know, give them capital to go and support other businesses and great cross relationships. But our main customer and the people we're really passionate about is like, how do we help more founders? You know, and for me, that's where I started, right? I was a founder. I was stuck. I couldn't get the funding that I needed. And so really our core customer and the people we most want to help is actually those people who can't acqu- acqu- access equity. Because when you think about it, there's incredible inequity in equity, right? Like we didn't even talk about that, like 0.05 percent of companies will raise venture capital and 98 percent of them are men. So, you know, we're in a world where there's so many great businesses that are just not accessing the capital they need to grow. And if they did, there's so much more opportunity. And, you know, I think missing out on that is such a shame.
0: So let's talk about the equity and equity. It's a really good point, right? I mean, people, there are a lot of statistics around the number of women that get funded, right? Two to two and a half, maybe 2.7% of all VC money goes to women, but that doesn't include, you know, people of color or the LGBTQ community or all these other businesses that should potentially get funded. But are you particularly focusing on those as well?
2: Well, the way we work is that, you know, we break the bias because you know, it's not like, you know, you meet with us and have to do a pitch and you show us a business plan and, you know, have a bunch of coffees with us. The way we work is that we connect the data sources that you already use to run your company. So we connect to your Shopify, to your Google, to your Facebook, your, you know, accounting, and we get this 360 view of how your business runs. And we use that data to make a near real time decision without the bias. And because of that, it means we find way more diverse founders than, you know, a typical VC would because businesses are, are overlooked.
0: Is that automated? Do you know what I mean? In other words, like you could be sleeping and fund a business. If you've got a hundred million dollars in your war chest <laughs> and you're connected to all this data, right? I connect you to my doctor tech data. I connect you to all my sales data, whatever it is. You could literally, cause you said you fund more businesses in a day than most of you sees fund in a year, which is a super cool thing to say, but at scale, you could literally do this when you're sleeping, right? Because you have, you must have certain metrics that you're using and to and measure And we do yeah. actually have a
2: deal when we're sleeping because of how the markets that we support. So, you know, we do, we use a lot of um, automation and data science. Some people like to call these things AI, but you know, really at the end of the day, we're just using, you know, some, some fancy math and some calculations to make, you know, good decisions based on the real quality of the business. We do still involve people though. I think one of the things about our business is that we really believe in getting like a great like service experience and working with the computer To get your answer about your funding isn't the way to do it so we also you know make sure we try to understand every founder and understand the intricacies that might not be in the data but um you know a key part of how we've been able to do it is really by being data focused in a way that i think vcs just couldn't be because you know half of our team are are engineers and computer scientists
0: right that's interesting. Which Just so funny because the top line on my little note thing here just says data-driven. Yeah, That's the only <laughs> thing. It was the first thing I wanted to know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but-
2: exactly. We love to talk about being <laughs> <can> data-driven. <laughs> um,
0: but, this is, but this is even more interesting. So let me ask you this. For all, the, for all the companies that come to you that meet the sort of data criteria to get funded, right? The ones that don't, if you really care, it sounds to me, and I think it's hard to fake this actually. It sounds to me like you care. Like that you really, that you, I haven't met your co-founder, but there's no way you can co-found with somebody where you really care about it. And the other founder just like, I don't really care. Well, this is just money in money out. Who cares? But if you really care about people, right, there's all, there are all these people that are close, right. Or just haven't cracked the nut on e-commerce, let's say, since that's what we talk about. You also help them, you know what I mean? And just say, you know what, if you just did this or marketed this way, or didn't do that thing, or maybe change the you know what I'm talking about, right? I don't want to say consulting, yeah. per se, because it's not that straightforward, but then help them to get to a point where, boom, they meet the metrics for six months and then they can raise money kind of thing.
2: So one of the things we like to say is that we're you know, the, actually the smartest money that a founder could get. And the reason why is because of the data insights that we have. So, you know, for founders who, we, who do have debt funding, we consult with them. We talk to them about how they could optimize their business. You know, we see you know, hundreds of businesses a day. And so that helps us get those insights for them but also for the businesses that we decline, that we aren't able to fund, we talk to them about why, you know, what are the challenges that we're seeing in their business? What are some of the opportunities? And we stay in touch. So you know, if they you know, keep their data connected to us, we can then you know, be in touch at the moment that they do reach you know, the criteria where they are ready for that funding. And often I think you know, when a business doesn't get funding, it's, you know, we're, it's not that the fact that they're, um, they're it's also in you know, some ways it can be a service to them. Because I think a mistake that founders can make is also putting capital into a business that isn't ready for capital yet, right? And so it's also sharing with them, what would you need to do to get your business ready to get it to scale so that you don't pull this up? You have something that's on the edge of working. Let's really help you make it work. And then let's grow it together.
0: So is there a part of, like, let's say I'm an 18 year old. There's always an age joke coming, always.
1: I didn't say anything. But so always. An, I'm just silenced. waiting,
0: right? So I, I silenced myself just to wait I for it. doesn't matter I stay
1: silent today. I stay
0: silent <laughs> But let's say I'm an 18-year-old and I'm really interested in e-commerce and I come to you or maybe I come to your community of founders and I say, like, what do I need to do? Where do I need to get to get to this thing? Do you know what I mean? Like really from the beginnings, right? So I understand people connect their data. They're just not making it. But is there a way to advise people, you know, you – If you're data driven from the beginning and you're accessing all this data in real time probably and processing all this data, the more data you get, the smarter you get, the smarter your investments get, the better they get. And over time, that data feeds off itself, right? If you're running the right sort of data analysis, you can kind of know what will and what won't succeed, where the trends are, what's going to work and what's not gonna work. If I just came to you and said, look, I wanna start an e-commerce business, you kind of must have all this data around like, okay, but make sure you do it in this way kind of thing. And then come back to me, connect right away to me. And in six months, if you've hit these benchmarks, you'll know that you've either succeeded or failed. And if not, we can then guide you again on how to do it from the earliest time. Yeah. Does that make sense?
2: You know, it's funny, like, you know, in the very early days of running this business, you know, I'd underwrite these businesses myself. So, you know, I'd be like talking to the founders myself, I'd be like analyzing their data, putting it into spreadsheets, looking at the sheets and I've actually just looked at so many businesses now that you know once someone's connected to our data, you know by seeing a few graphs within you know, about ten minutes, I can tell them exactly how much funding they're eligible for, what they need to do, how they compare it to their peers, and like you know it just starts to become like ingrained in your brain. So so yeah, I think there are incredible patterns, and we have been able to help founders in that way. Like you know like one of our first customers um, was this sustainable fashion brand called Hedwin, and. Just like so many e-commerce founders that work in fashion, they just had to struggle because they had to juggle cash between inventory and marketing, and basically they have to wait until the current season sells so they can invest the returns in the next. And you know that just limits your growth, right? And I'm sure you've seen so many businesses that are just stuck in this this cycle, right? And so you know Alex Nana, who are the founders. You know, they, you know, want they want to look at like every option. They're talking to VCs, trying to think about how to do venture debt, all these things. But I think what they realize is that, well, actually what matters most is do you get an affordable option? Right. And so they signed up with us, they got an advance of like 50K at the end of, you know, the end of the year, and then they use those funds to invest in inventory. And then with that funding, in a single quarter, their revenue grew eleven thousand percent compared to the previous year. And so to me, like, that's the models like we love to see because it just shows if you take, you know, the right business with the right founders and then you enable them with capital they just couldn't otherwise access, you can just achieve amazing things, you know? And so, like, it's situations like that where, like, you know, it gets you up in the morning and you don't want yeah. to help more founders achieve things like that.
0: So how long is in around?
2: So we're just over two years old, Got if it. you can believe it. No, no. So this is definitely the fastest company that I have ever been part of, <laughs> I think, just kidding. Reflects, you know, maybe not, not necessarily our skill. If I'm honest with you, I think reflects the fact that this is the new way to raise money. And you know, I think people have woken up; they've gotten fed up with the existing models, and there was just incredible demand and pull from the market. And we were just there at the right time, the right idea.
0: So, can I to go and execute? Yeah, can I ask you this? E-commerce, I understand, and it, it makes perfect sense to me, but it's also has, <clears throat> it also has all these existing sources where you can grab the data, right? So you build an API, you connect to Shopify's API or to Dr. Tech's API or whoever they're using, right? To Wix or to Woo or whatever it is, yeah, that they're doing. Yeah. That's really straightforward. But there are entire countries, right? Like Thailand, Indonesia, Malaysia, Germany, where you know, 70, 80% of the economy is driven by SMEs that don't use those type of platforms to, to run their businesses, but also run into the same capital shortfalls. So I'm curious on two levels. One is, is there a business for someone to create that all of those businesses can sit on that then generates data that then feeds into uncapped so that then you can fund them as well so that they don't run into the same capital constraints? Do you know what I mean? Because, yeah. because your model works, right? Regardless of whether it's e-commerce or like somewhere on Mars, it just doesn't matter because you're just doing a data analysis on do you have enough cash flow to fund this? And if you do, will it create growth? So does that make sense? In other words, should somebody go out and build that other thing as well?
2: Like, I think you definitely have to consider like what the technological advances have been that have made alternative finance options feasible, right? Like, I don't think what we do would have been possible even in our core markets just like five years ago because like our analytics platform It's what allows us to judge risk far more accurately because we have those connections, you know, we call API connections to all those different platforms. If it wasn't the fact that e-commerce founders typically, you know, 80% of them are using, you know, five things mainly to run their business. If that wasn't the case, yeah, it wouldn't be possible to have a business like this. And so um, there's been a major shift and, you know, I think that's going to keep coming and, you know, we're, we're seeing to see that evolution move around the world. So you know, we wanna be there with those founders. I think Asia has so much stuff happening in this space and like, you know, there's gonna be more development and more growth and you know, options for capital are also gonna spread. And that's a great thing because it used to be, if you weren't you know, based in like, one of the centers like London or New York or you know, San Francisco, you weren't where the investors were and it was so much harder to get capital. But actually there's been a, you know, a democratization of capital because now it's online. And you know any founder, you know sitting in the world potentially can access this new source and actually do it at better terms, probably than the founders could previously.
0: So, what are the rules and the regulations around? So you've raised, uh, and I'm generalizing just based on the stuff that you've said, right? So I'm only talking about the things that I know based on the things that you've said, right? But if you raise money from venture capitalists, I'm going to pick a number. Let's just call two hundred million dollars, which you can parse out in two million dollar pieces, two million pounds. It doesn't matter to me, right? that's great but there's this difference in the world between cred you know accredited um investors and non-accredited investors right based on net worth and a whole bunch of other silliness as far as i'm concerned but it means that if you believe that your data analysis and the, and your metrics and your benchmarks work is there a way that you've created that other people can then invest in the things particularly on the debt side right where interest rates globally are zero right but you're not lending at zero. You're lending, I'm guessing, somewhere between six and eight percent. I have no idea. But if you are <laughs> but but if you are, can I invest in in an entity then that will allow me to then fund you so that then you can fund the other entrepreneurs? Or is that or do the regulations not allow that because of the accreditation?
2: Well, it's less about the regulation. I think it's more about the belief of like what makes a good lending business. So, you know, one of our beliefs is that if you go to a marketplace model, like what you're talking about, where the person who is giving out the capital is separated from who is supplying the capital, or, you know, you're in a situation where you're not, but we're a balance sheet lender, where basically we're taking, you know, we're getting capital, we're taking that capital and we're deploying it. It changes a bit of the rule of the game because what happens is you would get if you have a marketplace business in that world, you know, you're always incentivized to grow your business as fast as you can. Right. And the easiest way to grow your business and lending is by making lots of risky loans and taking on a lot of bad debt. And in a marketplace model who suffers, it's the people, you know, the potentially the consumers, the retail investors, the, you know, the, uh, you know, individuals who go in and, you know, are maybe blindly following that thinking they're going to enter into a good investment which eventually breaks, right? So in our world as being a balance sheet lender, we always have to make sure that we're never giving out a loan that we don't think the person can repay. And for yeah. us, that creates the right incentive cycle where we have to be cautious, but also we're also doing right by the founders because we're not pushing people into bankruptcies or getting them to do things that wouldn't be right for them. We're actually helpfully making the right choices on both sides.
0: Yeah, maybe I, maybe I asked the question the wrong way. If I can come up with me and my friends can come up with ten million bucks, can I give it to you so you can lend it out? <laughs> that's what I'm asking. Well, right? that would be I, a different I, story. So, uh, say it again.
2: That could be, di- be a different game. I guess it potentially, if you were investing as like an equity investor, hey, let's uh, let's chat after this. <laughs> but uh, I ah, think that's, I a, that's a slightly okay. different game. Yeah, I'm
0: just trying to understand. I'm just trying to understand the model, right? So can I ask yeah, this? Yeah, well, go ahead.
2: Oh, you know, obviously, you know, a big part of this is that we are growing really fast. So we've raised multiple, multiple rounds. So we raised round after round and actually some of the biggest rounds that have been in Europe um, because of that. So, you know, there'll there'll be another one uh, that we'll let you know.
0: But does your valuation go up when you raise more money or is it just more money to then deploy? Like I'm trying to understand the relationship between the money that you raise and your own business profitability. Right. Right. And then because... You know a normal bank they they take deposits right so they can then take those deposits and lend them out and then they can of course um, leverage them to a certain extent but their valuation doesn't necessarily get higher every time they take a deposit
2: of course yeah yeah so yeah. You know, we have multiple things we raise so one part is we raise equity and of course they raise at a higher valuation because if we didn't we would just be getting diluted yeah, to a place where it wouldn't make sense yeah yeah so, so there's that. but we also raise money from hedge funds who supply us with, you know, really large streams of capital. And we work with now some of the best providers in the world. I can't tell you their names because we signed some NDAs and things I can like get, that. I can guess. But, uh, you, you can probably guess. You I know, can definitely guess. Of, and, uh, you know, those folks are really quality folks that you know, give us <laughs> the hundreds of millions that we need That's to, you know, to. make the number of investments that we're making.
0: Say a lot of my friends at Citadel and Tiger. Um. <laughs> <clears throat> But but it's a very, so this is a very interesting business model. This is why we love to get guys like you on the show. It's because this is the thing that's really happening undercover that most people don't see. Okay. And that's why it's so interesting. I want to ask you as well, as the financial system really starts to um, iterate, is there a kind of DeFi opportunity here for you? And is there a tokenization possibility too, where you can then, fractionalize some of the investments that you're making and then make those things once the investments get made tradable. So you're really creating like a multi-sided market for this stuff. You're not the marketplace itself, but the tokenization then provides a fractionalization opportunity to then make it available for others as well.
2: Well, you know, so far that hasn't been part of our strategy as well, just because of thinking a little bit about like the privacy. So all the information, like when, you know, founders work with us, they're sharing their data with us, which is obviously really sensitive. And so the way we're thinking about that information and you know that particular founder's um, data and the insight and the opportunities for them, it's just between us. And so kind of some of the challenges of like going to marketplace models or you know, opening up things in other ways means you also have to tell people, well, what are you investing in exactly, right? Because that's kind of the key question and they want to understand the underlying detail. But of course that removes some of the confidentiality that happens between founders. And yeah. And I guess if you so.
0: give, I guess if you give the founder the choice, like, you know, we can widen the opportunity for people to invest no. in you if you're willing to disclose, if not, you don't have to kind of thing. Right.
2: Fair enough. I, I just think that most founders, if you ask them that question, they are really protective of, of their case and their situation for, for the overall opportunity. So it hasn't been, to be honest, just hasn't been a priority for us. Like our priority has been thinking, how do we serve more founders in more ways? How do we create more flexibility in our products so we can you know, serve them in the way that they really wanna be served? And yeah, how do we access more markets so that you know more entrepreneurs can get capital where they're missing out?
0: Yeah, and is there, an, is there an opportunity for you as a team, again, with all of this data that you have to then start seeding yourself, so taking some of the money that you raised to seed some of these entrepreneurs and founders to then feed them into your funding mechanism to take advantage of some of the equity upside?
2: So I would love to do that. You know, it's interesting with our business in the early days, we were, you know, only funding businesses that were like at 100k plus, right, then we did, you know, at 25k plus monthly sales. And now we do 10k monthly sales. So (laughs) as our data and our models have gotten smarter, we've just been able to figure out ways how to fund companies earlier and earlier in their journey. And yeah, I think that would be like the next evolution for us as well.
0: Yeah, because it's just so interesting, right? Like you raise money from venture capitalists, so other people don't have to do it. And at some level you dilute yourself, but smartly, right? Because obviously you've been through this a thousand times, so you know how to do this, right? But Yeah,
2: but we're using that money for that R&D to, you know, figure out the next wave, do something that no one's done before. And Yeah. yeah, for that, equity is a good bet.
0: No, but I love this, right? I always say... The venture capital money, because fundamentally an early stage company, and you're still kind of early, even though you're very successful, is just a fund and experiment. And if you're experimenting and you're succeeding on some of these models, the idea then is to disintermediate the people that are funding the experiment and then take your own, the money that you're earning directly and invest it into other parts of your business that you think will be more profitable for you to remove your own dilution. And then grow this into like a massive financial services business or even an e-commerce business or wherever you see the data leading you. Right. That's what's really interesting to me. Yeah.
2: Yeah. There's so it's so interesting about where you can disrupt along, you know, that value chain. It's funny, even when we were talking to VCs, the conversation was a little bit awkward, but Yeah. It's like, yeah. Hey, man, you want me to fund you so that you can disrupt my business. Right. You want me to
0: you <laughs> want you want me to fund you so you can take away my ability to invest and dilute other people. Okay, but here's you know, my money. Funny.
2: Exactly. Right. But the smart VCs, I think, get it because they know that disruption's coming. Yeah. So are you going to be one of the VCs who's like ahead of it and is like leading the pack and actually mm-hmm. making a return? Or are you going to be the guy who's like, you know, left standing when the music stops? Right. Right.
1: Right. 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 You, is, like, if I, if I interrupt you go quickly, go. like, like because when we want to provide a return on investment for your investors or for your own company, then the the people that you invest in need to pay back the loan that you that you are giving to them. So I'm really, really, really wondering when when I listen to all your conversation about finance and, and 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 all of this stuff, it's super interesting. But I'm really wondering, like, what is the time frame that you ask your funders to pay you back? Are we are we talking in months? Are we talking in years? Like what what is the have yeah, the, the duration of the loan yeah
2: so most so the way this model works by the way it's it's revenue-based finance right so we take a portion of your daily sales until the capital is repaid if you're not generating sales you, there's nothing to pay so there's no fixed term in terms of you know the timeline to pay it's very different from a traditional loan where that kind of is the definition of a loan right is that you take a certain amount of money you have to pay it by a certain day This is a a more flexible way of thinking, first of all. But there is a rate that, you know, which people repay. So like typically most founders are repaying us within six to 12 months. And, you know, sometimes um, people pay us back slower because, hey, we got the forecast wrong and we thought their business was going to go faster, but it didn't. But that's okay. You know, we took that risk and that's the that's the the reason we exist. Um, On the flip side, sometimes businesses grow way faster than either of us thought. And, you know, they end up paying back sooner. But that also means that that entrepreneur has actually built probably a much more valuable business in that time period. And hey, we can turn around and then fund them again. And yeah, like the key thing, of course, like in your building e-commerce, how to think about the value of your business. It's typically a revenue multiple, right? So if you can figure out a way to get a cheap source of capital and then grow your top line, you've made your business more valuable and more investable.
0: So what's your revenue multiple?
2: What's our revenue multiple? Not Um, yours. In
0: other words, so again, and this is public, right? So we spoke to the founders of Opontia, right? And one of the, and the guy said to us, like, we try to buy businesses at four times revenues because we think we can value them at the multiple at four times. So we think we can sell them at 11 times, right? So. Where do you think these businesses should trade since you have all the data?
2: <laughs> well, so, you know, that's different from our business because we, you know, we're not- I know, I know,
0: I know. But I know, I, I'm different asking different you just different 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 a separate question, but like, what do you think? In other words, if you're increasing your multiple, what should it be? Uh,
2: well, you know, I, I think you know, that range is actually the range that I've seen. I think, uh, you know, I've, this year in terms of companies that we work with, we've seen companies that have had an exit that's been as low as a one X multiple. So we've seen a company that did a 12 X multiple. So, you know, that's a a really wide range. I was actually, um, you know, talking to the guys at Quiet Light who specialize in this as well. I don't know if you guys are familiar with them. So they specialize in selling e-commerce businesses. And, you know, they're kind of telling me a similar thing in terms of like the range of companies they're seeing, it kind of falls into that map. And so, you know, it shows what's possible though. Like it's kind of, uh, you know, insane to think that companies could be getting to such high high revenue multiples in terms of valuations. That was unheard of i think in previous periods and i think people you know have seen that there's ways that companies have just created so much growth and potentially maybe a lot of hype to be able to get to that level but yeah the way we're funding is a little bit different we're we're really thinking how do you do it in the non-equity way how do you think about you know instead you know maximizing the quality of your business
0: but i think this is a i think this is a secular trend actually and, and i'll tell you why i think in the old days if you were building a business from scratch in your small town you'd go to the local bank and beg them for money and if you couldn't do that you would go to your family and go this is come on i made this thing it's this widget it's definitely going to sell grandma just give me ten thousand dollars and i'll figure it out and once it did so yeah, <laughs> yeah, like we all have grandmothers somehow they all seem to have money um but But the point is that once you got that growth and you could go to a bank and they'd say, sure, if you've got six months of this, that, and the other thing, but now it's global and data is ubiquitous and the access to that data is instantaneous, where in the old days it wasn't. So that means that somebody in Thailand can get funded by somebody in Surrey because the internet connects them to each other. But because the venture capital business was built around, Hey, I've got a billion dollars and you don't, but that's a great idea. I'll take 15% of your company. If I give you $10 million was okay, because that person was never going to get money from the bank. But as the entrepreneurs get smarter and as the financial system sort of collapses around this idea of being able to give debt to people as opposed to giving up equity, that whole thing is going to change back to the way it used to be in the old days where, you'd family and friend fund the beginning part of it and then debt fund the rest of it and not give up so much equity. Does that make sense?
2: Yeah, I totally agree. I think that's the evolution. And debt used to be like a dirty word because at least in Europe, like.
0: Well, everywhere. Remember, Cause a, v, a VC would ask you like, do you have any debt on the books? You're like, well maybe, but isn't that okay? Kind of thing.
2: <laughs> yeah. It felt like, you know, somebody, if you took debt, people would ask you oh, what's wrong. Like yeah. what's going on? Right? Where are raising equity or raising like a major round. You know, you get celebrated in TechCrunch and everyone's like, Oh wow, you must be an amazing founder. Yeah. But the funny thing is that true success isn't raising a big round. No. It's building a profitable business and exactly. owning more of it.
0: Exactly. And so
2: yeah, founders I think are starting to wake up to that. Especially when you talk to any second time founder, right? They yeah. will tell you that lesson and it's hard earned, right? So I think we're just trying to encourage more founders to to you know realize our mistakes, you know, and uh, hopefully, you know, keep more of their
1: business. Yeah, I, I agree. Yeah, that's super cool. And on top of that, as you just take a share of the revenue, then like there is no like time or monthly repayment that I have to pay at the end of the month, right? Like if my Martin jump is works super good, then I can pay you faster. Everybody's happy if it works a little bit yeah. less good, then you oh, I don't have like this, you know, this some monthly dude coming some, some dude from <laughs> Brooklyn coming to my house
0: to like Yeah,
2: definitely. But yeah, and the other thing is there's a flat fee. You know, our model we have a six percent flat fee. And the thing about that, it means that you know exactly what you have to repay. So, you know, if you, if we lend you a hundred K to spend on marketing, we take back, you know, a fixed portion of your daily revenue until we get 106 K back. And, you know, we're not taking any equity or personal guarantees or warrants or hidden fees, you're just paying that 6%. And, you know, I think for me as much entrepreneur, like the challenge always was like, how much is this really costing me? You know, when you would like be getting your compounding interest and trying to figure all that out, this is super simple. And you know, in terms of like the return, like we were talking a bit before about like people getting like return on ad spend, There's there's those entrepreneurs who are like, Do I want to pay six percent? They're like, I don't know. But then if you talk to about <laughs> it, they're like, Well, what's your an alternative? <laughs> and then you know, the alternative would be like, Okay, um, I'm just not gonna raise any money, right? And but what happens then is say if you have a, a say the three X return on ad spend. You take six percent from us as a fee. You're still getting 2.94 versus zero. You know, so why wouldn't you take 2.94? So it's just an interesting thing, like about mindset. Like people always have thought debt's a sturdy word, but actually, if you use it in the right way, you can be incredibly smart.
1: I have seen PayPal and Stripe doing that like directly from the dashboard you can get a loan from Stripe and they, they say the same thing and like they say like, hey we give you like $10,000 for example and we just take a share of your revenue until you pay us back. Uh, I have no idea of what, what's the fee of PayPal and Stripe because I, because I didn't go further but like are they competing with you like in other terms like do you have founders who come with you and say hey PayPal and Stripe gave, gave, gave me that so are you going to give me a better terms or like our prepared and tribe solution are not super used and they don't compete with you at the end of the day
2: you know when those products launch my investors came to me going oh my god what's going to happen guys okay. <laughs> these products are launching and then what we realized was no difference yeah yeah and the reason why is because those products they are much more expensive and the reason why is because They can only use the data from their own platforms, right? So if you're Stripe, you're using Stripe data to make that decision. If you're Shopify, you're using Shopify data. We're connecting. We have a hundred different ways that we can connect your data. So we connect to all your revenue streams, right? So you're probably using Shopify and Amazon. Plus, there's a bunch of other insight that's in your bank account and your accounting and all those things justify that actually you're probably eligible for a lot more capital than Shopify thinks. And therefore, we can also do it at better terms. And overall, you're getting an opportunity. And what it actually did for us was, it meant way more people started going, oh, interesting. There's this other way to raise capital. It started becoming aware of the product and then started coming more to us. So. Thanks a lot to the team at Shopify and Amazon <laughs> <keep doing> the <laughs> for advertising work. for my business. <laughs> advertising us because, like, yeah, we'd love to, we love to, we love it, and uh, yeah, I think it's great, and it just helped this this space explode.
0: I'm a big believer that when Amazon or Google or pick a big company that focuses on X and does X really well goes into Y business, it just means that somebody else is going to do that business better. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Because I mean, and so, uh, look, I've got one of the largest insurtech podcasts in the world, and <clears throat> You know every time google hires somebody to disintermediate the insurance business incumbents just get nervous and insurtechs just go bring it on baby because you're never going to be able to compete with us kind of thing so i get it yeah
2: yeah it's the focus and the focus of execution of just knowing this it's like incredibly hard to build a credit business but also do it in this world where you're actually also building like all that data and that insight and still trying to stay true to really understanding your real customer and, and doing it with the right mentality and our mentality has always been like, how do we be founder first? You know, we're not just founder friendly. We are founders ourselves.
1: Yeah. And I,
0: mean, I
2: think that just changes the way you play the game. Yeah. And this
0: gets back to what you said before, right? Like I can, I can probably borrow money from Google at scale, but who do I call when something goes wrong? Do you know what I mean? There's no one there.
2: Yeah. Totally. And you know, and that's, that's, what's amazing too. Right. Like, you know, we know the entrepreneurs that work exactly. with us. And so they contact us, we, you know, they're, they're, you know, so many of them are our friends. Right. So it's cool that they're like, Still using the product, you know, and, uh, you know, and uh, so we haven't come after them with any like baseball bats or anything, (laughs) you know, they came back. (laughs) They wanted more funding and, you know, then they've gone on to be our biggest advocates and that's actually how we grew. So like, you know, was that we created like what I like to call like a a six star experience. Yeah. You know, we, when we first launched this product, people were like, how the hell are you going to give up capital for a 6% fee, Mm -hmm. you know, to these like young entrepreneurs, right? And like the product seemed insane as an idea. And so that stimulated people to go, wow, this is possible. I got my money in 24 hours. And then they told a whole bunch of other people. And then that just created this like wave, more and more people coming to us. Are you surprised? are Are
0: you surprised by how fast this has grown and how big it's gotten?
2: Well, absolutely. Like, you know, I think compared to any other business that I've had, like, this is incredible. But we're also, you know, we were named the second fastest growing fintech in Europe. Right. Um, just recently by Sifted. So yeah, I think even by other people's accounts. <laughs> They're also really surprised.
0: <laughs> Who are these guys? <laughs>
2: They're also surprised. They're also surprised. And, uh, you know, I think what I was saying before, its I don't think it's just about us. Yeah, yeah. That we're so great founders. No, no, I, I think we learned, I learned a lot of lessons about how to build a business by making some really dumb mistakes. Um, but it's also just there's real demand for this thing yeah. because this is the way founders should be raising capital going forward.
0: Got it. Anything else?
1: Yeah, that's super interesting. I was wondering, like, with all the data that you have about e-commerce, like, you know, uh, industries, ver- 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 verticals and all of that, like, do you sometimes have a proactive approach? Like, we want to invest into an apparel co- company. So then you're going to look for a company that is great, that did not contact you, but you are going to be proactive and go to contact them. Does that happen sometimes? Yeah, it happens all the
2: time, Yeah, oh, you know, I think time. In, the, okay. in the early days. <laughs> We just like put out you know a message and like put a little PR story and then actually in the first day that we launched, we had four hundred people apply. Okay. And it was actually crazy because we were totally not ready, so <laughs> we didn't have like a CRM or a <laughs> database. We had well, a pen. I had to like call one of my one of my old one of the guys who used to work with me at my last company, and I just like called him at nine p.m. and I was like. Dude, I need help with this database. You know something about pipe drive. Can you like come in tomorrow and you like set up our pipe drive? it like took us ages to be able to get back to everybody because we just didn't expect it, you know? And then, you know, obviously the evolution has been, hey, we, we figured that stuff out. So now we have a very good, we have a good system. Right. But also then we started to spot the opportunities yeah, yeah. and realize who is a really great customer for us, and then go after them proactively and try to build relationships and you know, connect with guys like you. And, you know, more people in the ecosystem and hopefully, you know, build our brand. So it creates like a you know a nice positive feedback loop where, where people are coming to us again and again.
1: That's super cool. And I think a lot of conversation that we had on this podcast was about like e-commerce companies willing to go into another region. Like, uh, for example, a company in the US want to expand into the EU or companies in Asia yeah. want to then start selling in Europe or in the United States. Do you fund this kind of growth? Or do you... No, you don't.
2: Why not? Of course. You do, of course. That's a great thing. If you have a model that's working and you realize there's an opportunity to take it to another market, like, hey, that's a really smart thing to do. Because if you think about it, e-commerce businesses, by definition, are international, right? Like, if you think about, um, if you compare an SME and within the UK, who's working on an e-commerce business versus like a mom and pop shop, versus comparing those two e-commerce businesses in two different countries, they have way more in common, right? Than just being in the same country. So the ability to you know, use these platforms, to underwrite them, to make, help them grow, that's way more similar. So it's a fabulous thing for us when we see an entrepreneur who wants to go to a different market, we have a lot of insight about that, right? So we can tell them, hey, talk to us, let us consult with you, let us help you think about how to do that expansion. Here's what you should expect and we can model that with them and then give them the capital they need to do it.
0: So, who are your ideal partners? In other words, like shouldn't Ricky be working with these guys? Yeah, for but I was uh, That's I was what you're debating, thinking, them, right? Them, yeah. Same thing, right? But who are your <laughs> who are your ideal partners? How do you expand to other regions? Like how does that look to you?
2: Well, you know, um, it's interesting. One of our partners has been VCs themselves. So, we have a network of 600 VCs who refer mm-hmm. their portfolio to us. Right. Okay. which sounds crazy. But the reason why is because they don't want to be diluted either. Right. So once they've invested, they're like, shit, okay, you took money from us, but don't take money from anybody else. Take some money from Uncapped because so basically it means we'll all own more of the business. So that's been one of our mainstreams. Oh, really? <laughs> and so we built this great network.
0: That's terrible. But then but anyway. it's
2: also, we've built partnerships uh, just with, uh, you know, so many other folks in the e-commerce space who I think are doing great things. And kind of one of our beliefs is like, we want to make like, you know, that value add where, Hey, we're giving you capital, but like, what else can we do to help you grow? Because if you grow faster, our incentives are fully aligned. We also get paid back faster. So let me introduce you to, you know, the right agency who could help you. Let me introduce you to the right email marketing tools. Let me introduce you to, you know, software that we've seen our other customers, you know, use to really improve their supply chain. And so we keep doing those things. And that also means founders, uh, you know, like us even that much more. And uh, yeah, it creates a really nice dynamic.
0: You could introduce them to the best e-commerce podcast in the world, and then they could get global exposure in the over 100 <laughs> countries where we You're have like, listeners no, and viewers. And, and <laughs> I have viewers. to figure out who that is, though. <laughs> <laughs> I'll see if I can find those guys for you. <laughs>
2: All
1: right, cool, cool. Send me an email afterwards.
0: <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, look, maybe we should end there then.
1: I think that's that's perfect <laughs> I don't to want to get
0: insulted this, again. This
1: it's with love guys I love it's it I love, love it no I
0: love it I love it Asher <laughs> Ismail a co-founder of Uncap that was kind of awesome yeah
1: that was awesome thank you very much for coming on the show and for sharing all your experience and what you see in the incremental space that, that was super, super.